Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you that as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who have repented of our sins and have believed on what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, that we have been not only forgiven and justified, but we have been brought into your family and we can call you Father. Lord, we thank you for this this time that we remember families, parenting, Mother's Day as well as Father's, that it's your institution called the family. And we pray that we would, as Christians, protect it. Lord, I pray that as we look at the family today, especially the role mothers have, that you'd give wisdom, especially to each mother here, but also to each father, to each one who's seeking to raise a child. Father, again, we thank you that we as a church are part of this process as well. Again, we ask for wisdom, we ask for strength. It's hard to raise a child. We live in a very corrupt and broken world, a world that wants to destroy our faith. And we pray that you would give us power and strength to protect the faith that uh, you've given through your word. Again, thank you for your Holy Spirit that convicts and guides. And we pray that as, as your spirit teaches us that if there are areas in our life that need changing, either personally or in our family, that we would put our hand to that plow, as it were, that we would be obedient to your word. And do those things that would truly not only bring the glory to Jesus Christ, but as the word says, bring our kids up in the nurture and admonition of you. Just guide us now as we seek to study, as we learn, as we grow for you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Junior church may be dismissed. You know, if you don't tell me that, within three minutes, I would get that. <laughs> You'd like to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be there in a few moments. Actually, you could go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I was reading a story of a young boy. He had just come from a child dedication, just like we had just seen. By the way, wasn't that just a blessing? It's also a blessing to me personally, because I've watched some of those families, some of those parents. I remember counseling them in premarital counseling, and then, and then marrying them, and then hearing of the news that they were going to have a child. And, and it's, uh, well, not only is it exciting for me, but it tells me I'm getting older. But, uh, and then to see them up here. And as Andy so, so concisely said, it's, it's not about the child as much as about the parent. That we are committing ourselves and dedicating ourselves to raising these children for the Lord. But anyways, a little guy named Johnny was, had just gone through one of these uh, little uh, dedication services and... Uh, and the way home from church, he was just crying. Just crying and crying and crying. And uh, the mother kept asking him, you know, Johnny, what's wrong? And, and he wouldn't answer. And then, you know, a little while down the road, Johnny, what's wrong? And he just kept crying. And finally, after the third time of mom asking, Johnny, you know, replied, what was wrong? And he said, you know, the pastor said that I should grow up in a Christian home, but I just want to go home with you guys. <laughs> Well, today, today we're going to look at how to grow up in a Christian. See, some people get it late. 
No, how, you know, how do we raise our children? And we just want to give some, some, some thoughts from the Word of God. Again, we honor you as mothers today. Ephesians says to honor our parents, right? By the way, not, we don't honor you as much as we honor the Lord Jesus Christ. We exalt him. But again, it's good, to, it's good to step aside on these special days and say, you know, let's think about motherhood. Um, it's a lot of hard work. It's not easy. In fact, one study I read said that by the time a child reaches 18, a mother has had to handle some extra 18,000 hours of child-generated work. Do you understand what jo- child-generated work is? <laughs> now, if you say 18 years, that's about 1,000 hours a year usually in the first half of the child's life, it's a little bit more. But think about that. The guy went on to say that that's equivalent of an extra three months a year in leisure time. If you have a child, you're spending your leisure time running after them, picking up after them, changing their diapers. By the way, Dad, you can change a diaper too. But it's a lot of hard work. A junior high science teacher lectured on the properties of magnets for an entire class. The next day, he gave his students a quiz. The first question read like this. My name begins with an M, has six letters, and I pick up things. What am I? Half the kids in the class wrote, mother. (laughs) I love these little stories. Final story. Father was trying to explain the concept of marriage to his four-year-old daughter. He got out his wedding album, thinking visual images would help, and explained the entire wedding service to her. When he was finished, he asked if she had any questions. She pointed to a picture of the wedding party and asked, quote, Daddy, is that when Mommy came to work for us? (laughs) Okay. I say all those just to say this. It is not easy to be a parent. I've often thought it'd be so much nicer if I could have started my family now. You know, I've learned so much. The only problem is I have the wisdom, but I don't have the strength to run run behind the kids. But it takes a lot of work. And, you know, in Scripture, there's a lot of different portraits of motherhood. You know, think about the picture of the mother of Moses who cared so much for her son that she even broke the law of Pharaoh in order to teach him the faith of his people. I mean, there was a woman who stepped out in faith. Or the sacrificial love of a mother who appeared before King Solomon and told him that she was willing to have her son taken away by another woman rather than see any harm come to him. That's the sacrifice of a, of a mother. Mothers are sacrificial. Or think of James and John. Remember going before the Lord and the mother asked that one would sit on the right and one would sit on the left? Always looking out for the best. Now again, that was selfish, but I believe the Lord had mercy and grace towards her because it was a loving heart that was saying it. Or the mother of King Lemuel. You find him at the end of Proverbs 31, or her, speaking to her son and advising him not only of wisdom, but how to find a good wife. We find that in Proverbs 31. Again, you can go through and there's all these portraits of of motherhood, just glimpses, just glimpses, because the scripture itself is primarily about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's He's the thread. But again, 
families, the main institution, the, the building block of a society. And in our society, it's crumbling, isn't it? Isn't families crumbling? I'm so thankful to see so many here where I would look at your family and say, you know, most likely what I'm seeing you know, is a family that is seeking to honor the Lord. But again, as we come to Mother's Day, I also know that for some it's a difficult time. It's not all joyous. Maybe you want to be a mother, but you can't be for some reason. See, that's like a, like a knife going through your heart. Or perhaps some of you have had, uh, not had the best mother in the world. In fact, maybe when I say mother, it's not happy feelings. Some of you had a mother who has died, maybe recently. And so you remember back to Mother's Day, but today it's not a happy, joyful day. Or maybe your mother is so sick to the point of maybe she's alive, but she doesn't know you. I'm dealing with my own grandmother who doesn't know us any longer. And that's hard. I remember all the days when all the fun times we had. Some of you mothers have lost a child to death. Maybe before it was even born, maybe after. Some of you mothers feel the pain of a wayward child. So as we talk about parenting, you may even get like, oh, I wonder if I did something wrong that this child is not walking with the Lord like I had wanted him to or her to. And maybe some of you are just flying solo. The father is gone. And you're seeking to raise a child or children alone. And again, it takes two, but it can take just one. In fact, today, the, the person we're going to be looking at, Timothy, it was, it was just him. I mean, it was just his mother and grandmother. The father had already passed on. In fact, that's what we're going to be looking at today. How can you make a significant spiritual impact on your children? And I just want to give you three simple things. And we're going to be looking at a grandmother, Lois, and a mother, Eunice, and then the son that, that uh, was in the family, which is Timothy. And if you read in 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you're there, again, 2 Timothy chapter 1, um, we'll look there and then we'll go over 2 Timothy 3 and then end in Acts 16. We'll kind of be back and forth. So, But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith... That is in you, that's Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Okay, there's that baton being passed. The baton being passed. It's interesting because as I was reading about this, I was reading different, you know, sermons and commentaries. And, uh, and, and, and one guy went on and on about, you know, uh, you know, what Eunice was like and what Lois was like. And, how, and I'm like, it's not in the text. But we do know this, that Eunice, the mother, was married to a Greek husband. We find that in Acts 16. And and let me just kind of give you the context, the background. Paul came to the town of uh, Lystra and spoke about Jesus Christ. And apparently what happened was Lois, the grandmother, and Eunice listened intently. Now this was before Acts 16. This was the first time, the first missionary journey. But they apparently saw in what Paul was saying about Jesus Christ that he was the one that fulfilled the Old Testament promises of Messiah. And as Old Testament Jews, as it were, they placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the grandmother and the mother. And now these two new believers, 
in turn focused on teaching Timothy and passing that faith baton onto their grandson and son. Again, we know that Paul left Lystra and then Paul comes back to Lystra and that's where we pick it up in Acts 16 in a few moments. But again, here's a godly grandmother and a godly mother who heard about Jesus Christ, even though, the, and by the way, they had, they had already understood Messiah from the Old Testament, but when, when Paul came through preaching, they connected the dots and said, oh, he is the Old Testament Messiah. And the death that he experienced on the cross was sacrificial, not in payment for his sin, but for ours. And they put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ and were marvelously saved. And then from there, they passed that spiritual baton on and made sure Timothy understood spiritual truth that Jesus Christ was the only Savior. And so Paul writes, and by the way, it wasn't, I don't believe it was the, um, the grandmother and mother that actually led Timothy to the Lord, because we find Paul writing in 1 Timothy 1 2, just a few verses earlier, that he's called a true son in the faith. Excuse me, 1 Timothy, not 2. But a true son in the faith. It, it sounds like this, that probably the, the, um, the baton was passed and the teaching was done, but then Timothy probably was actually led to the Lord, actually went with Paul. So was it, you know, I don't know all the different details. Was it that Paul came and preached and then when he came back, at first, probably the first time he led Timothy to the Lord. But he called him his true son in the faith. Over in Corinthians, he says, My beloved and faithful son in the Lord. So again, Paul had a great impact on Timothy's life as well. By the way, that, that brings something up. You know, years ago, when they were talking about child rearing, they would call it takes a village. But really, it takes a church. It's really important to think about this. You know, you could isolate yourself and just say, Well, it's just about our family, and I'm going to raise my kids. But you know, really the one anothering and fellowship and uh, true, truly using your spiritual gifts has to be done within the context of a bigger group than just the family. So although I'm saying the family is critical, the bigger group called the church is even, uh, uh, I would say, equally as important. Not more important. Obviously the family is the primary unit. But the church is critical because there you, you get the rubbing of other people, other you know other people who, uh, with different thinking. I don't mean heretical, but I'm just saying people who uh, think differently in many areas, culturally or whatever. And you have to interact, and it's very important that we just you know we don't become isolations. I'm afraid that sometimes as the world's getting more corrupt, sometimes families are getting more like an isolation. You know, oh, we just don't want to deal with anybody out there. Maybe even the church. Um, but anyways, let me just continue on. Later, Paul and Timothy partnered together in the gospel, and that's Acts 16. So let me just give you three things. First of all, this. We make a spiritual impact by instilling a deep respect for the Scriptures. That's the first major thing that has to happen with a, with a child, that we, we instill a deep respect for Scripture. If you go, since you're in 2 Timothy already, to th- chapter 3, verse 12, just go there quickly. He starts out in verse 12 talking about um, if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. That's a big heavy. You know, if you're going to walk with Christ, it's not going to always be easy. Hang tough when tough times come. Look at verse 14. But you must continue in these things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. 
The idea of learning there is that he not only learned them cognitively, but they became part of his life. And that's very critical, isn't it? When it comes to raising a child, it's not just about them knowing, but it's got to be internalized. It's got to hit the heart. It's got to be lived out. Because again, you've learned and been assured of knowing from what you, uh, you have learned them. And just the fact that he connects verse 12 to 14. I mean, if you're going to suffer, <laughs> that's going to be internalized. See, you can have a lot of knowledge, but when it comes down to hard times, that's when you really know if it's really in the heart. Are you willing to suffer? But go to verse 15. And that from childhood, that word childhood means babe, infancy. So it's, it's not talking child like this. He's talking child, you know, maybe even before they crawl. From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, again, when when Paul's telling Timothy, you have from childhood known the Holy Scriptures, that is definitely pointing back to grandmother and mother. And, And the Scriptures he's referring to is not the New Testament, it's the Old Testament. So the Scriptures were in the home. What you find is this, the mother and grandmother were godly Jews. Not saved yet, because Christ had not died, and you know the, the message through Paul had not yet come. But they were they were godly Old Testament Jews, and they were passing the baton to their their grandson and son Timothy. I mean, can you imagine uh, Grandma Lois teaching Timothy about Moses, about Samson, about David? Now you can. Timothy, David had issues, but he was a man after God's own heart. You know, I mean, that's for Abraham and Noah and all the stories and all the principles. I mean, it, it was a home where the Bible was, was revered. Talking and telling them about not only stories, but about the principles and how the law and then, you know, the sacrifices and... In fact, I'm sure that they were living out Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is an Old Testament passage, but it's for all of us that are parents. And it says this, in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right from the start establishes who God is. God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So, he's saying, okay, God is one, and you, you as a parent, Moses is telling the people, this is before they go into the promised land, you need to love the Lord your God, the only true God, with with everything that's in your being, right? Well, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he goes on and says this, verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Again, they're, they're not just this. And when I mean heart, I don't mean this either. I mean your inward being. It's, it's your control center. The Word of God should be controlling your heart, heart. That's what Moses is telling the people. The Word of God should control your heart. And then he says this, You shall teach them, that's what's in your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, throughout the day, whether formally or informally, you should be passing the baton of truth to your children. And I believe that's exactly what was happened to Grandma Lois and Mother uh, Eunice with Timothy. She was passing the baton. They were passing the baton. By the way, that's hard. Isn't that hard? 
Isn't it easy as parents? I, I look at my own... I mean, I'm still a parent. I still have two kids at home. Well, I actually have six kids at home, but two... <laughs> I always like, you know, like, uh, you know, the knock on the door of their back, you know. Um, no, I love having my kids. It's, it's great. It's, it's great to have them at home. But the point is, is it, it's hard to, uh, to really fulfill that when it says that you are really literally passing the baton at all times. And we are by our example and by what we say. So again, they, the grandmother and uh, mother had God's word in their heart. It had been internalized into their own lives. And therefore, and this is critical, they could influence and impress it upon young Timothy. I think sometimes we try to pass to our children something that's not in our own heart first. Is that ever true? It could be. We got to make sure that we are as excited. In fact, I would say this. I would definitely encourage, you know, we're done with Olympian program and Epic for this year. We're going to be starting, as Ken talked in the Sunday Sioux class, we're starting a whole new Sunday Sioux curriculum with answers in Genesis. And, I mean, there's things to study. There's even things to memorize. But you know what? Your kids are looking at you and saying, well, you know, Dad, you want me to go to Sunday school, but are you excited about memorizing? I mean, you want me to memorize Joshua 1.8, but are you interested in it? It's got to be in our heart also. And, and I would say this, you know, our church has, has got just a lot of things that, that we can help you with. <laughs> you know, the different programs, like I said, Sunday School and Epic and Olympian program and, and college programs and all these programs are to help you do your job. In fact, I would say it this way. Our job at Alfred Allman Bible Church is this quote. And I'm going to put it in a quote because I want you to catch this. It's to supplement what parents are doing in the home. That's it. I mean, we're not taking over the job. Sometimes I, I, I'm concerned. It's like, well, you know, they went through the program, therefore they're equipped. They went through Olympian program, they're equipped. No, no, no. We're just here to supplement. I trust that it's happening in the home as well. By the way, it's never too late. <laughs> you may say, you know, I have just failed. It's never too late. If, if, you can get, if you can see your child, you can still help train them. Even if they're out of the home, you can be an encouragement, Right? In fact, I remember um, there was four scholars. These were very, very knowledgeable biblical scholars that were arguing over Bible translations. I mean, you can kind of picture the scene. And they're going back and forth as far as which translation is the best. And the first one, he preferred the King James Version because because of its beauty and the eloquence of the Old English. I'm a King James man. And the second one said, no, I, I like the New American Standard Version. It's literal. It moves the reader from passage to passage with confident feeling of accuracy, you know. I mean, it's a good literal translation. I, I like the New American Standard Version. The third scholar was sold on the New Living Translation for its use of the contemporary phrases and idioms that capture the meaning of difficult ideas, you know, and they're just going back and forth, these three. And finally, the fourth one admitted this after some time of them, you know, arguing. He said, I have personally preferred my mother's translation. And when the other scholars started laughing, he said, yeah, she translated the scriptures. My mom translated each page of the Bible into her own life. It's the most convincing translation I have ever read. It is. It is. So, mothers, what kind of Bible is your child reading when he or she observes your life? 
By the way, I want to just kind of divert for one moment because sometimes we put our success on our kids. And I like how John MacArthur said it in one of his parenting books. He said, quote, If we measure our success as parents solely by what our children become, there is a firm there is no firm guarantee in Scripture that we will experience absolute success on those terms. Sometimes children raised in fine Christian families grow up to abandon the faith. On the other hand, the Lord graciously redeems many children whose parents are utter failures. The outcome of the child as a factor taken by itself is no reliable gauge of the parent's success. Let me read that again. The outcome of the child as, as a factor taken by itself is no reliable gauge of the parent's success. However, the true measure of success for Christian parents is, is the parent's own character. To the degree that we have followed God's design for parenting, we have succeeded as parents before God. End quote. See, it's the parent's character. It's, it's the book. It's, it's reading the mother's translation of the Bible. She was a godly woman. Whether the child turns out, and, and I, I have to be careful because, you know, normally it works this way. You raise, if you're raised in a godly home, the child follows in the ways of the parents. Isn't that true? By the way, my wife is constantly reminding me, like I'll get up out of, off the table, you know, out of a chair, or I'll be walking, or say something, or do something. Oh, that's just like your dad. You're just like your dad. <laughs> yeah, we turn out like our parents. And godly home normally leads to a child that walks with God. But not always. And we really have to be careful that says, this always equals this. Because the issue is us personally being godly. Doing what God wants, but the result is left with Him. So that's the first thing, a reverence for Scripture. Number two, we make a scriptural impact in our kids' lives by modeling an authentic faith. There again, that's this. I'm trying to tie what the Scripture says with our own personal authentic faith. And if you go to First Timothy, Second uh, Timothy one five again, if you go back to where we were, verse five it says again, when I call to remembrance the the genuine faith that is in you, the genuine faith that is in you, which again first dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother, and I'm persuading you also. All right, as a parent, as a parent, you need to be what you need to be first. Dwell first. Where to dwell first? We need to just look at our lives. Look at our lives and say, okay, Lord, what do you want for me? Let me be faithful. By the way, interesting, Timothy had no father at home. All right? The way it's set up in Acts is apparently the father had already died. Okay, because it's in the, I think it's in the perfect tense versus the present. They talk about him being a Greek, but it's in the perfect, like it happened in the past. It's, he's not there any longer. So here's a, a young man that's growing up in, in a home with just a mother, okay, and a grandmother. See, I, I like that. And, and he becomes a very, very faithful young pastor. Very faithful. Paul depends on him. When Paul's in jail, he calls on him. He basically is, I mean, he's, he's just a very, very solid biblical man. And yet again, had no father influence, at least. of. And most likely, the, the father was a Greek. He was never a believer in the first place. Okay. So again, what do we see in this example? We as a parent, whether you're in a two-parent home or a one-parent home, we need to be what we need to be. That's very, very critical. And you say, what do you mean? Well, 
We need to demonstrate our faith. How do you mean? Well, we need to demonstrate our faith through humility. Are we perfect as parents? <laughs> I mean, if there's anybody that knows our imperfections, it's our kids, right? What does humility say? Humility says this. I'm willing to go to my kids at times when I've failed and said, you know what, kids? I have failed. You know? Family time, family conference. And at that point, they're all like, oh, another family conference. Sometimes it's because they need to hear dad say, I failed. But again, humility would, would uh, demand that. Uh, how do we endure trials? God puts us through times of difficulty. How do we endure? See, that's showing our faith if we endure it with a godly attitude. If we endure it with grace. How are we as far as loving? You know, do they see us as a loving parent as a loving christian do they see us as one who when someone bothers us we don't rip them apart with our words oh sometimes i do so i have to go back and say guys or solo would have to go back and say you know what see we have to demonstrate our faith again it's it's also talking about you know bringing them through let's say the a bible reading program or helping them to memorize scripture and meditate on scripture and there's so many nuances and i don't want to paint it like this you have to do it this way but i will say this if you want to pass the baton then pass the baton of what you are right and we have to be godly so as a parent we need you you need to be what you must be as a parent, you also need to be genuine. Again, the word was right there. The word genuine means sincere. Some of your versions probably even have that. But what sincere means is unhypocritical. Unhypocritical. You're, uh, you're real. There's no pretense or false facade. In other words, these women, when I called you, remember, it's the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelled in your grandmother. That meant the grandmother and the mother were the real deal. They just weren't going through the motions. They knew, or Timothy knew, this is the real Christian here. When Paul came through and preached Jesus and they turned to Christ, their whole life was given over to him. That's what he's referring to in verse 5. So we have to be genuine. I'll give you a quote. No one knows better than a child whether a parent's faith is genuine. No one knows better than a child whether a parent's faith is genuine. And I believe that one of the reasons we see such an uh, exodus of kids out of the church when they grow older, sometimes I think it's because the, the faith of the parents is hypocritical. What they have seen, and they say that of the like pastors' homes and leaders of church homes, that if the kids do not see godliness, if the kids do not see true holiness, I'm not saying perfection, I'm just saying that they are willing to say, you know what, I've sinned, I have done wrong, but I want to pursue Jesus, I want to walk with Him. If they don't see that, they get to be 18 to 20 and I'm gone because what I've seen in my home for the last 18 years doesn't work. That's how Howard Hendricks used to say, if your faith doesn't work at home, don't export it. <laughs> And you know Howard Hendricks, he would just be very sarcastic about it. But the point is this, you know, if it doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. Because that's where it needs to work, is at home. So again, we need to be genuine. And then finally, as a parent, we need to be an evangelist because the verse 5 says genuine faith. See, it's not just genuine, it's genuine faith pointing to salvation. So again, when it came to grandmother and mother... 
speaking to Timothy, they weren't just telling them Bible stories. They weren't just trying to get them. See, sometimes it's, it's easy to try to get our child to be moral. We need to point them in the, in the direction of Jesus Christ so that they are saved. Do you see? Sometimes more moral, just, you know, they're nice people. They're nice kids. Boy, you raised such a nice child. There's going to be a lot of nice people in hell. Right? I mean, by the way, the, the Pharisees, for all their problems, did have a standard. But they weren't righteous because they never wanted Christ. Well, some of them did. But the point is, is it's not about being nice. It's not about being moral. It's about pointing them to Jesus Christ. Now, again, Lois and Eunice, they received Christ. But again, faith is not hereditary. You, you need personal commitment. Each person has to personally realize that before God, the holy God of the universe, that they are a sinner and condemned before his righteous and holy law. And that Jesus Christ came, the beloved son, and died for the only begotten son. Let's say even more biblical. And died for sinners. And as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he forgives based on his sacrifice on the cross. And made part of his family. But again, pointing people to Jesus Christ, not just, you know, trying to get them to be moral and nice and, you know, other people want to be around them type, type thing. In fact, let me read just one other, uh, pat, or one other quote. I, it just hit me one, and it's from MacArthur. Um, and he's talking about this top priority of parents, and he says this, quote, Your top priority job as a parent is to be an evangelist in your home. You need to teach your children the law of God, Teach them the gospel of divine grace. Show them their need for a Savior and point them to Jesus Christ as the only one who can truly save them. If they grow up without a keen awareness of their need for salvation, you as a parent will have failed in your primary task as their spiritual leader. Ooh, that's tough. That's tough stuff. Oh, we need to teach and it takes a lot of time and energy. But let's make sure we're pointing them to Jesus and saying, no, we, we are sinners. We need his grace. You can receive him. And this is how to do it. Now, again, let me add one last caveat. We can't save our kids. That's the problem. I mean, I look at my children. I want to, I want to see every one of them saved. And I think most of them are. But I can't do the saving. It's the Spirit of God that actually works in the heart and brings them to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. But again, I can set the example and I can set the teaching and I can point the way and I can say, you know, he's the only Savior. You need to receive him. You need to repent of your sins and believe on him. But I can't make their heart change. Only Jesus Christ through his spirit can do that. But what can I do? I got to keep lifting up Jesus. (laughs) See, we as parents are the first and foremost preachers God has given to our children. And we just got to keep lifting up Jesus and saying, He's your answer to the problem of sin. He is your answer for the problem of why you feel guilty. Because you are guilty. Because you're a sinner. But he can, he can forgive that guilt. He can take away that guilt. He can forgive your sins. By the way, I, I don't want to just talk about children here. I don't know where you are right now in your spiritual walk. You may be coming to this church. You may even be a member. You may be a leader. But have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? What I mean by that is this. Recognized your sin. Understood that your sin, your personal sin, condemns you before God the Father, before the Holy Trinity. 
and you realize that your sin could not be paid for any other way but for what happened on the cross, that Jesus Christ went to the cross as a substitute for you, and when he died, and when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was because the wrath of God and the sins of mankind were being placed on Christ, and he was making sacrifice, not for his sins, he was perfect, but for yours. And you realize those truths and you repented of your sins and you put your faith in Christ. And that's what the Bible says. If you, if you uh, receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Have you ever done that? Because I don't want to just talk about children. You may be right here. And if you died right at this moment, you'd be in hell. You'd be away from God's grace and mercy. Why? Because you are not saved. If, if you are not saved, you need to put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ and cry out to him. And ask him to forgive you, and Jesus Christ will, right? Many has received him, to them he gave the right, what? To become children of God. So if you're here not saved, you can cry out to Jesus Christ right at this moment, and he will save you. You know, a mother's priority then, as we've talked about salvation, and not just being nice and moral, but actually pointing them to Jesus Christ means this, that their children's souls that are, are more important than their bodies and clothes. <laughs> now think about this. The priorities of a Christian uh, parent is this. That the eternal life is of more importance than success in this life. That their children's relationship with Jesus than their popularity and acceptance in this world. Those are things that we have to decide. I see sometimes Christians, and it's almost like they want to have both sides. They want to be pleasing to Jesus, but they also want the world to really love their kids. And you know what Jesus keeps saying? What? If you follow me, what? The world's going to hate you. Not going to change. See, their child's standing before God rather than their standing before men. Or their child's spirituality rather than their intellectual, musical, or athletic accomplishments. That's what's important. It's their soul. It's eternal life. It's their relationship with Christ. It's their standing before God. It's spirituality. And that's what uh, grandmother and mother were doing to Timothy. Helping him to understand what Jesus wanted. By the way, do you think uh, these two women were praying women? Do you think they were praying women? I do believe they were praying. You you see praying women all over the scriptures. I think of one in particular, Acts 12, 12. It says, the mother of John Mark opened her home for prayer, meeting with, while Peter was in prison. And you know, you can go over, and there's just so so many different places in scripture where you find the women praying. Well, you find men praying. But it doesn't say it in the text, but I want to say this. I believe grandmother and mother were praying women. Are you praying for your family? Are you praying, if you're married, for your husband daily? Are you praying for your children daily? And you say, why would you even say that in a bunch of, with a bunch of Christians on a Sunday morning? Because I have found in my own life, at times, I have not been praying consistency, consistently even for my own family. Isn't that a shame? Isn't it a shame if we are Christians, Christian parents, but we look into our prayer life and say, you know what, and I'm not even praying for my own children and family consistently? I I do believe this, that if you are there, you need to repent of that, right? We need to be praying people, especially with our own family. Let's look at the last one. We've looked at a reverence for Scripture. We have to model it. Now go to Acts chapter 16 as we close. Acts chapter 16. 
this is where we, actually where I had to start in part of my study. It says, Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek, apparently, again. And because it's in the perfect tense, most likely the father is dead, but the Jewish woman believed. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Let me give you the last one. We make a spiritual impact by encouraging a desire to serve others. Desire to serve others. See, the idea is this. You can have a high reverence for Scripture. You can even model it. But again, unless that person receives Christ and then is willing to also serve, Jesus Christ came what? Not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You'll know that the process in your child is complete. Not just that they have a high reverence for Scripture. Not just that they have received Christ and are modeling a Christian characteristic, but as they also get outside of themselves and now also are willing to, what, serve. That's, the, that's kind of like the pay dirt. When you start seeing them other-centered, Christ-centered, now you say, okay, he is a mature believer. And, and that's what you see in Timothy. Again, just let me pull out just a few qualities as we close. First of all, it says, a certain disciple. In other words, Timothy is a strong believer by this point, because in verse 1 he says, a certain disciple. Now, he could have called Timothy a believer. He could have called him a Christian. But he called him a certain disciple. Disciple means one who learns, one who follows. In other words, a disciple is one who is serious about Jesus Christ, and that's Timothy. Look at verse 2. It says, well spoken of. In other words, Timothy had a good reputation. He was well spoken of. That word is maturo. We get our word martyr, but the idea is, if you asked a bunch of people in Lystra about Timothy, they would all say the same thing. Boy, he, he's, that's one fine young man there. That's one fine young man. Don't understand all about him. <laughs> and he's talking about the Jesus, but he is a man of integrity and of consistency. Look at verse 3. It says, Paul wanted to have him go, and he took him. In other words, Paul was available, or Timothy was available. He didn't just have a good reputation. A lot of people have a good reputation, but they don't want to do anything for God. But here's a man who's ready to go. He's available. And not only that, but sacrificial. I only get that because, and then Paul circumcised him. He's, in, he's probably in his late 20s by the point of this circumcision. By the way, circumcision is painful at that point in life. And then he's willing to leave mom and grandmother and go with Paul on a missionary journey. Now think about what, what, Paul happened, what happened to Paul on missionary journeys. Stoned, ran out of town, threatened, beat. And you know what Timothy says? I'm willing to go. So what do you see in that man? See, he's not just a Christian. He's not just a strong Christian. He's a Christian who is willing to serve. He is willing to serve Jesus Christ by going with Paul... And going out on the missionary journey, knowing that his very life would be threatened. So, he had a deep respect for the word, which led to an authentic faith, which finally led to serving others. And that's how, if you look at your parenting, that's what it should look like. It's not just about getting them to know a lot of things, but now they're willing to be other-centered because they're Christ-centered. Now, at the very end of your outline, I gave you just some bang, bang, bang bullet points, and I'm going to be done. 
And, I, I, and, and this actually is not in the text. I just thought, you know, when it comes to parenting, though, as we close this down, sometimes it almost feels like overwhelming. Oh, now you're giving me more things to do. You know, can you just make it simple, especially if I'm a parent of a young kid? And I just thought, you know, let me just make it simple. Because all these things, wed together with what I just said, with the Spirit of God's influence in their life and the power, leads the child to do what they need to do. Five simple things. Keys to parenting, I would call them. First of all, target the heart, not just the behavior. In other words, the attitudes over the actions. We're not just trying to change them in a behavioral way. But remember, all these things that we're talking about, whether it's how they look at Scripture, how they have authentic faith, or how they serve others, it's an attitude, first of all, in the heart. The second is this. Consistently teach your children the truths of God's Word. And I I put Deuteronomy 6. Teach them diligently. Teach them formally and informally. Teach them with your life. Teach them with the book open. But teach them. Just keep teaching what the Word of God says. Number three, discipline them when they are do wrong. When there is still hope. In other words, don't look at it just teaching, but you know what? Sometimes the child does wrong. And they need to know that there is right and there is wrong, there is good and there is evil. Why? Because our society says that's not true. But a Christian says, yes, there is good and there is evil. And when you discipline, you're showing them the difference. Number four, don't provoke them to anger. Specifically, that is spoken to the Father in Colossians and Ephesians. But the idea is this. You discipline them, but you don't provoke them. Provoke them means to irritate them to the point of exasperation. Oh, but when I spank my child, they're exasperated. No, no, they're, that's biblical. But sometimes we exasperate our child. How do you do that? Ah, favoritism, talent, calling them names. By the way, you really exasperate your children if you as a husband and wife are not on the same page. And then finally, top priority, continually point your child to the Savior. And I left two words, not just for salvation, Oh, they need to be saved. But for sanctification, even after they get saved, keep pointing them to the Savior. What am I saying? That Jesus Christ, the the Trinity, that the Scriptures, that's what's sufficient. It's Jesus Christ is sufficient, right? Just keep pointing them to the Savior. Now, again, I, I wanted to summarize because I don't want you to walk away, oh, I just feel like I've been dumped on. Yeah, you might already say that. Well, whatever. Hey, parenting's hard work. But the point is, is even just those final five things, that's kind of like a summary, okay? You might just grab a hold of those and maybe just take one of those and say, you know, I'm going to start working on that a little bit better. I need to start working on those things. Remember Timothy? Grew up in a home where the father wasn't around, had a godly grandmother, had a godly mother, still had bumps in the road, but again, had a, a reverence for the Scriptures, had an authentic faith, that produced true service to others, which meant that he was serving Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about, right? Lifting up Jesus Christ. And I want to do that right now as we stand. Let's... let's. But what if you have really blown it? Maybe you don't have your kids here any longer. They're gone. They're somewhere even around the United States. But you look back and you say, you know, I wish I had known some of this stuff. I wasn't even a Christian when I was raising my children. Man, that, there's a whole lot of baggage that could happen there, right? I, I would say this. If, if you have guilt, 
And you're like, man, I don't know what to do. My kids did not get a good model because I wasn't even a believer, or I was said I was a believer, but I was walking wayward. I, I would encourage you to do just a couple simple things. One is, I'd actually take on a piece of paper and write down, these are the ways, Lord, that I believe I have blown it when my kids were there. I, I would write it because then you can actually say, you know, and I, Lord, I, I see it. It hurts, but it's true. And then I would confess it to him if you haven't. Now, I'd keep the paper. And then I would start praying and asking God, Lord, give me an opportunity. It may not be today, but give me an opportunity to speak to my child. And when I do, this paper will come out. And I will explain to them how I was inconsistent, maybe as a proclaiming Christian, or I was inconsistent because I wasn't Christian at all. But I'm going to talk to my child. And make it like in the next three or four weeks, hopefully. (laughs) But I am going to seek to resolve this. It's sad to me to hear of parents who say, you know, I, that child of mine has nothing to do with me any longer because of the inconsistency and ungodliness in my home. We need to pursue. If you're a Christian, you need to pursue that person, right? Right? We're the ones that have been given grace and mercy. And we need to be humble enough to say, hey, I blew it. But we need to pursue because they need to see that grace and mercy hit us and that God is working in us and God wants to work in them as well, right? So if there's an issue... Don't just let it, don't just keep skirting it. Don't just keep, because it's still there. We need to deal with it. But again, if you are at a home and, and your kids are still there and, and you're walking with Jesus Christ, stay focused on him, right? There's so many things the world says that's important in the, in the child's life. You know what's most important? Jesus Christ. Just keep pointing towards him. And if your mother is still living, you're going to call her today, right? Amen. Right? Man, 20 years ago, I would have said, ah, if you do, you do, you don't. Isn't that sad? No, no, you better call your mother. And you better do it right. <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful Mother's Day if you're a mother here. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for these reminders. It's tough stuff to, to be an example and to walk with you before others because we're so imperfect in it. You're perfect. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for fourth and fifth and sixth... Um, times that we can go back and and walk with you and father i just pray for protection on on our families here at this church and especially for the young parents that we just uh, saw want to dedicate uh, themselves to raising their children we ask that you would give them personally a strength and when it gets hard and also for each one of us as parents when it gets hard that we would again just realize that's an opportunity for us to fall before you and ask for strength Lord, just help us to be humble enough to do that and then to be able to see your marvelous power uh, working through our lives to affect our children. Again, we pray for protection and guidance as we seek to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.